works in Psalm chapter number 70. Psalm chapter number 70, verse number 5. But I am poor and needy. Make haste unto me, O God. Thou art my help and my deliverer. O Lord, make no tarrying. Turn a couple pages here. Psalm 72. Verse number 12. And he shall, for he shall deliver the needy when he crieth. The poor also shall he make poor also, and him that hath no helper. He shall spare the poor and needy. He shall save the souls of the needy. Another page here, Psalm chapter number 74. Verse number 21. O let not the oppressed return ashamed. Let the poor and needy praise thy name. A couple more pages, Psalm 82. Verse number three, defend the poor and fatherless, do justice to the afflicted and needy, deliver the poor and needy, rid them out of the hand of the wicked. Chapter number 86. Verse number one, bow down thine ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. Now we could continue on, but have you kind of got the, the gist so far? There's been a consistent thread through all of that. The poor and needy. I am poor and needy. I'm going to give you an illustration here that's going to take me a little bit of time. You're going to wonder where in the world is he going with all that. But I want to get your mind set in a specific direction before we tackle uh, a very important thought. My house has an attached garage. It is divided in half. It's a pretty good sized garage and one side of the garage is where we park our cars and store our junk. Everybody has junk that you have to store. And so one side is our car parking and our garage and our junk storage. The other half is my workshop. Occasionally, I work on a car in there, not often, whenever it needs it, I work on the car in there, but it's actually set up where, to I, where I mainly uh, go alone to tinker, okay, guys do that, this is the place where I go alone to work on just whatever, whatever my interest happens to be, and I have a lot of interests, and so whatever my interest happens to be at the time, I go in there and work on those things, mostly it's robotics but I work on all different kinds of things. Seldom do I work with wood in that shop. I work with wood so many other places that my shop at home is not really set up to work with wood. As you can imagine, working with robots and that kind of stuff requires quite a variety of tools. I have an interesting collection of cabinets and tool racks and workbenches that I can actually roll. And so I roll them around me and I sit in an office chair that rotates so that I can actually just spin around and get all of the tools and all the things that I need. So it's all just in a circle around me. It's a very nice way to work. 
since I only do that type of work, and I occasionally work on my car in that garage, the other tools that I have, and I have a lot of tools, they're all stored away. I have a good storage system, and I store all these tools away, all the other tools. But the tools that I use, you would, you would recognize most of them. I have screwdrivers, and I have pliers, and I have side cutters, and I have wire strippers, and of course, I have a hammer. But you have to think in new terms here, because this might, might be a new thing to you. I don't work with wood in that shop, so that the hammer I have is not what you would think of as a typical hammer. You think of a hammer as a claw hammer. But in the shop where I'm doing no woodworking, I do not have a claw hammer. I have what's called a ball peen hammer. Now, I brought one today. Actually, I forgot mine, so I went to Dad's garage and got his. Because I figured some of you would not know what a ball peen hammer looks like. You remember how Dad used to pound on the pulpit? <laughs> I'm going to leave him to shame. Okay. This, my friends, is a, one of the larger ball peen hammers. It's a pounding side and a pounding side. It's rounded on this side. It's for, you, you, it's for working with metal and those kinds of things. It's a ball peen hammer. And these are the kinds of hammers that I have in my shop at home. Now, the traditional claw hammer is not necessarily not necessary in a robot shop. So they're stored away with all the other tools. Okay, you follow me so far? I think it's pretty straightforward. Except for I don't know if my mind is very straightforward this morning. For years now, actually several years, my wife has had a plan to remodel the bedroom. She has had her plans all drawn, she was all ready to go, and for several years she's had this plan. But because of the construction that takes place around here and all of that kind of stuff, she's a very patient woman. Because her plan gets, keeps getting preempted and pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. Now, you know she's a patient woman. She lives with me. So that, that tells you she has to be a patient woman. But recently, within the last couple of weeks, we started that remodel project. The remodel project involves tearing out some walls, tearing out the closets, rearranging the bathroom, putting walls back in, and building some new walls. Okay, so we're in this remodel project. I don't know if you know it today, but building materials are relatively expensive. And because building materials are expensive, and I needed some lumber, and I'm Dutch, I decided to reuse as much of the old 2x4s from the walls as I could. This involves pulling nails. So I went to my garage to get a hammer. Some of you are cooking with gas this morning. The only hammers I could find in my garage were these. <laughs> Do you see the problem that I face? Now, a hammer with claws did not seem very important when I was working in the garage. It was not until I had a need 
that the true value of my claw hammer became apparent. Do you catch this? Now, with that thought in mind, we took a long ways to get there, but I want you to keep thinking about that clawless hammer and the job that I needed to do. With that in mind, the title of this morning's message, Seeing Christ Through Your Needs. Seeing Christ Through Your Needs. Let's pray. Father, we bless your name. What a privilege it is to be here. And Lord, how futile the working of our mind is in this process. We ask, Father, that your spirit would work in our minds, that he would draw us where we need to go. Lord, there are so many needs in this room. Each person has their own specific set. And I'm asking this morning that you would draw each person to yourself that no need would go unmet, that every heart would feel the work of your spirit as he draws them to the person of the Lord Jesus. For we ask this in his precious holy name. Amen. Seeing Christ through your needs. In the world today, what people think of Jesus Christ varies greatly. You realize that to some people, Jesus Christ is a name to be cursed, a name to be despised, a name to be rejected, a name to be mocked, a name to be ridiculed. He is a person, what we'll call, of negative value to them. To others, Christ is a non-entity. They either know nothing about him or just choose to ignore him, they don't give him a thought, which he means nothing to them. He is a neutral value, if you will. To others, Christ is important. They recognize his, him as the sinless son of God, who is their only hope of salvation. He is their savior. He is important. He is of very positive value. Then there are others generally people who have known Christ for quite some time, who find him of ultimate value. Peter expresses it well in 1 Peter chapter number 2, Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. He is of ultimate value. Now how can this be? Christ doesn't change. Christ does not treat people differently. He's not different from this person, from that person. He doesn't treat people differently. So how can he be of negative value to some and ultimate value to others? The difference comes when we see Christ through our needs. Okay, now in order to understand this, let's just start on the very ground floor. In this room, many of you will have already seen Christ in this need, and this will give you a point of reference. For others of you who sit here today, you may have never seen Christ in through this need of yours. And you need to see him today through this need. What is man's greatest need? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What is the greatest need of a person, a human being? 
Over and over we read it. David cries out, I am poor and needy. There is almost no end to the needs of man. But what is his greatest need? If you had to line them up, well, these are the, here's his top need, is nah, da, 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 and you have, what is his greatest need? Now, I don't think that would take much debating to come to a conclusion and an agreement on this. Man has all kinds of needs in his life. But if you make him healthy, happy, and comfortable, and you meet all of those needs for him for 80 years, and then that man spends an eternity in the torments of hell, what have you done for him? You met all of these needs, and he was happy and comfortable for 80 years, and then lives apart from God for an eternity. You have missed his greatest need. Matthew and Mark record, what does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Man's greatest need is securing his eternity. This is man's greatest need, securing his eternity. So what does this need actually look like? This often gets confused in people's minds. It's not supposed to be confusing. So don't let it be confusing. It's really straightforward. God lives in a perfect place that we call heaven. It is a perfect place, therefore nothing imperfect can be allowed in. If you allow something imperfect into a perfect environment, it is no longer perfect. So anything that's not perfect cannot be allowed entrance into heaven. God created man and put him in the Garden of Eden, and he gave him a choice, and man chose to disobey. Well, in that choice, he is no longer perfect. Every person here, every person on the planet, has followed in Adam's footsteps. Therefore, there are no perfect people. Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Since sin is, since, sorry, since perfection is a requirement for heaven, in order to be in God's presence, you have to be perfect Nobody meets the requirements. You can't get in. Why? Because you do not meet the requirements, which is perfection. Well, the fact remains, man is an eternal being. He will not cease to exist. So there's got to be some place to put him. He cannot be in God's presence, so he must be put from God's presence. That is a place called hell place called the lake of fire. It is a dreadful place. You know when you hear about hell, you think about the flames, you think about the smoke, you think about the heat, and you fear those because all of us, we've had experience with those and we don't like those out of control. But do you realize the most fearful thing about hell is that you will be removed from the presence of God? The reason we don't fear this is because from the very moment you were conceived, you have been in the presence of God under his grace and mercy all of that time. You have never known one moment of your life where you were not in God's presence and under his grace and mercy. 
And when you go to the place called hell, for the first time you will experience this separation. If we actually knew what it was like to be out of God's presence, our hearts would melt like water right here. We would fall into a dead faint with the fear that would overtake us if we actually knew what it meant to be out of God's presence. Man is imperfect and must be separated. But what can he do about it? My old grandpa used to say, measure twice, cut once. Why would he say that? Because if you cut an eight-foot two-by-four a quarter of an inch short, how many times do you have to cut it before now it's eight foot again? It can't be done. Once it's short, it's short, it's short, and it's short, and there's nothing that you can do about it. We have sinned, and we're short. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So what are you going to do about it? You can't stretch yourself back. You can't go back and do undo. There is no reversals here. You are already imperfect and you do not fit. You cannot make the requirements for heaven. This is man's greatest need. He is not allowed into heaven. But when we look at Jesus Christ... And we look at him through that need of ours. Things begin to change. Think of Jesus Christ. He is God the Son. He came to earth. He took on flesh. Was born as a human baby. He lived on this earth for 33 years. He was God in a human body. He did not sin. He lived perfectly. At age 33 we find him hanging on a cross. You think, well, wait a second, this happened almost 2,000 years ago. What possible meaning could this have for me? The fact that Jesus Christ died on a cross 2,000 years ago, how could that affect me today? Well, the sinless Son of God is hanging on a cross, dying. Not for his own sin. He doesn't have any. He is dying for the sins of mankind. He, my friend, is dying for your sin. He is dying as a substitute for you. You know, if you need a substitute, you have to have, the substitute for your salvation has to have three requirements. One, that substitute has to be perfect. Anybody that has sinned cannot be your substitute. So the substitute has to be perfect. The second requirement is the person has to be human. It cannot be a dog that pays for your sin, or an angel that pays for your sin. The person has to be human to take human sin. And the third requirement is the, the, the substitute must be valuable. They must be able to pay for the sin debt of the entire world. Jesus Christ is the only one who meets those three requirements. He never sinned. He took on flesh and was born in that manger. And he was valuable. He is God the Son. You cannot estimate the value of him. 
So he meets the requirements. He died on the cross for your sin, and three days later he rose from the grave, proving without any shadow of a doubt that your sin debt has been paid in full. You can now stand, not in your own righteousness. You don't have any. You can stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He died in your place. Now, a person who does not understand their eternal predicament, a person who is ignoring what happens after death, they may curse Christ, they may mock him, they may count him as worthless. But a person who understands their own need of salvation, a person who understands their own predicament, I am on my way to hell and there is nothing I can do about it, when they see themselves exactly as they are, a sinner on their way to hell with no escape, when they see Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. When they see Christ through their need, he is no longer a swear word, but one of inestimable value. He is your only hope. Have you seen Christ through your greatest need? your need of eternal salvation. All other needs pale in comparison to this need. It is the first need that you must see Christ through. If this morning you have not seen Christ through that need of yours, would you look at him that way today? If you look at Christ through that need of eternal salvation, you will find him precious. For those who have already seen Christ through your need of salvation, did you stop right there? Did you quit looking at Christ through the rest of your needs? Your need of eternal salvation is not your only need. You have lots of needs. Have you looked at the person of Jesus Christ through those needs? If you want Christ to grow in his preciousness to you, try looking at him through the needs that you have. For in him you will find the answer to every need. Let's briefly consider some of them this morning. As I was preparing this outline, I took a few moments to list some of the needs that mankind faces every day. Here's just a partial list. Loneliness, grief, uncertainty, lack of direction, lack of wisdom, lack of ability. You know, each day we face the day and it's a day full of needs that we are unable to meet. We struggle and we fight and we do the best we can and we hang on and we, as the British say, muddle through. But have you ever looked at Christ through the needs that you face on a daily basis? Let's consider loneliness. There are lots of reasons for loneliness. Have you ever been lonely? You know, loneliness is a weird thing. How many here have ever been lonely while you're surrounded by hundreds of people? Isn't that weird that you could just be absolutely lonely as all get out, surrounded by a bunch of people? 
have you ever looked, no matter what the cause for this loneliness, have you ever looked at Christ through that need of yours? Do you know what you'll find if you look at Christ through that need? You'll find a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. You will find a friend that fills your heart with himself. A friend that when everyone else forsakes you, will still be there. When your father and mother forsake you, then the Lord will take you up. If loneliness is your need today, look at Christ through that need. And you will find him to be precious. How about uncertainty? Is it not an uncertain world in which we live? I don't know about you, but I don't like new situations. Anybody here not like new situations? I do not like to go into new situations. Whenever I come into a new situation, I do the gentlemanly thing and let Carol go first. <laughs> then she caught on to that's what I was doing. So she'd say, no, no, no. So then... I pushed the kids through first. Then all those rats grew up and left the house. So now I am going into these uncertain situations and I have to go in myself. Life is very uncertain and it's very uncomfortable to go into some certain situations. But have you looked at Christ through your uncertain situations? We draw strength from having someone with us situations and what he says I will never leave you nor forsake you if you would look at Christ through your uncertainty you would find him to be precious have you looked at Christ through your lack of wisdom <laughs> how many figure out yet that life is complicated you know, maybe not in this section here. They st they're starting to get it over here, the teenagers, starting to get it. That some of this is complicated. Remember when you were fourth grade? When you were fourth grade, all you had to do was clean your room, eat your vegetables, and do your homework. And then nobody cared what else you did throughout the rest of the day. And it wasn't, life wasn't very complicated. And if you like somebody, remember that? Check yes for no. <laughs> do you like me? Check yes. The older you get, you know, you start realizing this thing is complicated. This, this life is not, there's lots of questions and problems and situations that require answers every day. How to run a business, how to raise your family, how to deal with some problem. Every day brings something new. The problem is, you know, you just don't need answers. You need the right answers because people's lives depend on the decisions that you make. What you do today affects a lot of things in the future. Here's what I found about myself. I don't know all the facts. I'm not aware of all the details. I don't know how anybody else is going to react. I don't know what's going to happen long term. I don't know who all this is going to affect. I don't know what all is interconnected. And even if I did, my wisdom is not sufficient to calculate a solution. Anybody else there with me? 
you have this complicated life and you're faced with all of these decisions, you're like, I got nothing here. I don't know what to do. Situations that very well may affect all of the people that I love for a very long time and I have got nothing. This is reason for despair. Because, you know, every day is the same. And if by chance, today, I accidentally get it right, I know for sure tomorrow I'm going to blow it. Because every day is full of complications, things that require the right answer. With this desperate need, when I look to Christ, he says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. I look to Christ who says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way that thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eyes. And oh, the peace that fills my soul. When I realize, you know what, I don't have to be a genius. That's good news because I'm not. I don't have to be a genius. I don't have to have all the answers. And I am not doomed to create heartache and headache for every person that I know. On my own, that is all that I can do. But when I see Christ through this need, I find him to be precious. Have you seen Christ through your grief? Have you found that a man's heart can get very weary? Life has a way of coming in and stomping our flower gardens to pieces, doesn't it? I was watching, Carol showed me a little video the other yesterday, I think it was. It's this little oriental kid. And he has picked a dandelion that's still this fuzzy. And he's just enamored with this fuzzy dandelion. Everybody know what I'm talking about? That and so he's across the bridge from his mother, and so he's running to his mother with this dandelion at full speed. And when he gets there to show her this amazing thing, all he's got is a stick. And he looks to show her, and he looks to see it, and his face just falls apart. And he, he is just totally devastated. And he takes that stick and just throws it on the ground like that. <laughs> Isn't life a lot like that? You got this thing, and you're so, this is going to be so wonderful. And you run through, and when you look back at it, it's just a stick in your hand. Life has a lot of grief in it. And it's hard to deal with this grief. But have you ever looked at Christ through your grief? You realize that he understands. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He too stood at Lazarus' grave and wept. He knows the feeling that you have inside that's too deep to even attempt to communicate to anybody else. When you come to him in that grief, do you know what you find? Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. 
In his presence is fullness of joy. If you would look to Christ through your grief, you will find him precious. How about in your ministering? We live in a world surrounded by people who need the Lord. And one of the problems with the fact is that we're surrounded by people who need the Lord, most of them do not know that they need the Lord. So you're trying to show them that they need the Lord. And how do you do this? I don't know if you're like me, but I feel like I'm really slow of speech and of a faltering tongue. And how am I supposed to convince the world of their need of Christ? It seems like an absolute impossibility. But when I see that need, the need of ministering through Christ, when I look to Christ through that need, I find John 15, 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. It's not my power, my work, my smooth tongue, or my wisdom. When we see Christ through our needs, he is precious. This hammer seemed sufficient. My other hammer didn't seem so important. Until I started looking at this hammer through my need and realized this is a piece of junk for what I have to do. I need the one that will do the job. And when I saw the claws and the nails to be pulled, this hammer is not enough, but there is one that was. When we see Christ through our need, we find him to be precious. I have a note that is in the center of my desk, and I see it every time I sit down, and it says, Christ is everything I need for every need that I have. Have you seen Christ through your need? Let's pray.